Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I had a friend who was a teacher in a Christian school, and this one child was, uh, was being bad that day. And uh, she said, okay, I'm going to have you uh, write a song for me. And the child thought, she said, song, that's O-N-G. And when she said psalm, so I said, open your Bible. And, and, you know, he's opening the Bible. He's seeing these uh, 10 and 20 verse psalms. And she said, keep going, keep going. And got to Psalm 119 and said, I want you to write that out for me. Have it for me tomorrow morning. And uh, the child never did those things again. Because 176 verses. Uh, I have a friend who started a uh, series on Psalm 119, and for the first sermon, simply stood and read the entire psalm, which took 20 minutes uh, to get through. Today, we're only going to begin the psalm, so we'll only read the first three verses. So if you're able, would you stand with me, and I'll read the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, come upon us today as we dig into your word that uh, this banquet that is before us would be a feast for us uh, and our lives and behaviors and actions and words and thoughts would reflect what we find in your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 1, 2, and 3. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, when I was in Spain, every morning I would get up and before I would begin to walk, I would read a portion of Psalm 119. And then during the, the quiet hours of the walk, I would think upon one of those verses, one thought, one aspect of it, uh, and, and then all the accompanying thoughts that would come along with it, uh, that, and, and the songs that are associated with um, the, the verses in Psalm 119, and spend as much time as possible just praying through that. And when I had the, my tendon became inflamed and I couldn't walk for a couple days and I had to take the bus. I got, I got to the hotel and it's, it's, you know, still morning. Nobody else is in town because they're all walking their 20, 22 miles that day. And, and I rode the bus and waved at them as I went by. Um, so I got out on the balcony and for the next four hours, I contemplated those three verses. I read them. I prayed through them. I meditated upon them. I thought about them. I thought about the verses that are uh, associated with them, that are referenced by them. And, and I know some of you are thinking, how do you spend four hours on three verses? And then others of you are thinking, I wish I, wish I could order my life that I could spend four hours of my day just thinking and contemplating on four or three verses of Scripture. It was profitable. It was very, very profitable. As much as I hated not walking, 
that day. Uh, the Lord had other things for me. Now, about three years ago, we started an open-ended series on the book of Psalms. And we have spent 60 Sunday mornings in the Psalms so far. And there's probably another 400 Sunday mornings we could spend um, in the Psalms. I mean, it's, it's just so rich and there's just so much there that we can feast upon and, 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 and chew on and, and, and has so much for our lives. So today we begin a kind of a series within a series on Psalm 119. Um, how long will we be in Psalm 119? It's hard to say. I'm going to give you some scheduling here in just a moment. But the psalm fits into the larger picture of what we will be looking at for the time in the future. And that is the topic of personal holiness. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment as well. Now just keep in mind a couple things in in perspective in our world. Our world, which is instantaneous, and we've talked about this before, you you expect to hear about events across the world instantaneously as somebody pulls out their camera and puts it online right away. You get an email, you want your text instantaneous. Uh, When somebody doesn't text you back right away, you're like, well, aren't they paying attention? Uh, Heaven forbid that their phone should not be on their person. we went out to dinner last night, and, and, you know, they text you when your table's ready, and I didn't have my phone. You know, and, and, and Judy and Leah go, or, or Judy and Abby go, where's your phone? You know, don't you have it? I said, well, I think I left it at home. You know, heaven forbid I didn't have my phone. Uh, but we have to understand that in the ancient world, sacred documents had a purpose. They were just not to contain information. They were to be committed to memory. Understand that. Ancient documents like Psalm 119 was to be committed to memory. All 176 verses. Classic moral texts of the ancient world were not like books today. Simply an exercise in communicating information or simply as a means of entertainment. They were intended to acculturate those who heard them to acculturate, to take them and to help them understand what the culture was and to live out the truth within the culture that they lived in. They were intended to acculturate those who heard them, to form their character in ways thought to be good and right in that particular culture. They were a means of imparting a worldview to those who learned them, who recited them, who came to know them as a way of thinking and as a way of living. That was the purpose of these texts. Feast upon them. Put them into your mind. Fix them in your heart. Let them shape your behavior in the world around you. And since people heard these works more than read them, they typically had to be learned by heart through repetition. Through repetition. The first phrase I learned in Russian class back in ninth grade, I still remember, Paftarenia Matsuchenya. Repetition is the mother of learning. Repetition is the mother of learning. In our shorter catechism, the question is, what rule has God given to direct us how we might glorify and enjoy him? And the answer is the word of God, which contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we might glorify and enjoy him. So, if our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, how might we do that? We are taught where? Here in God's Word. It is simple and straightforward. 
The Bible contains the truths that are to believe and the commandments to which we are to give our obedience. It is the source of our direction for our faith and for our life. It is the repository of things that are true and good for us to live out. It is the reliable knowledge about God and salvation. And again, the catechism says, what are the outward and ordinary means by whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? How does God communicate to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially his word, the sacraments, and prayer. How do I know about salvation? How do I know about this rich gift that he has given to me? It is laid out for us in his word. It is fixed in our hearts through prayer and through the use of the means of grace, the things of the sacraments and fellowship and communion with the body. How is the word to be read and heard that, we, that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to, to salvation We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Diligence, preparation, and prayer. We just don't pick up the word and go, oh, you know, this is the classic. I wonder what God wants me to do today. And Judas went out and hung himself. No, no, that guy can't be. Let me try it again. Okay. Whatever you do, go and do it quickly. No, no, I can't be that. No, no. We we attend on God's word. We meditate upon it. We understand all of it in its larger context and how we might apply it in our life. Heaven forbid we should ever say, God, if you've got something for me today, open it and put our finger on it. And it says, go and do likewise. Heaven forbid that we should just go and do likewise of Judas, especially. The word may become effectual as with diligence, preparation, and prayer. We receive it with faith and love. We lay it up in our hearts, and we practice it in our lives. So the word is not just to be read. It is to be read, meditated upon, laid up in our lives, and then what? Put to use in practice. It's no good just to have it. Okay? I remember what... One of the bosses I had in Youth for Christ used to sign his Christmas cards. Don't keep the faith. And then somebody wrote him back. How could you say this? Don't keep the faith. He said, give it away. Okay, that's the practical application of storing it up in our hearts is to live it out and to give it away. So we must lay the word of God up in our hearts, put it into practice in our lives. Hence, we begin the study of Psalm 119, which is all about the word, all about the word. Let me give you some background just just so you can understand a little bit of the immensity of this psalm. Charles Spurgeon has 398 pages in his commentary, 34 sermons on the one psalm alone. Charles Bridges has 481 pages of commentary on Psalm 119, and the great Puritan Thomas Manton has 1,677 pages of commentary on this one psalm. That's a lot of stuff. And that gets, you can talk about getting into the weeds. They are down in the weeds in every word of it. Next to Psalm 23, this is the most written and preached about psalm. 
It is in the 18th and 19th century, it was not uncommon for entire congregations to have memorized it. And the missionary David Livingston had it memorized when he was nine years old. Nine years old. What does your nine-year-old memorize? Okay. Now, the topic of personal holiness. Before I went on sabbatical, I surveyed the congregation. I sent out for about six weeks little pieces of paper that said, what is your greatest spiritual need? And overwhelmingly, it came back personal holiness. Personal holiness. And the subject of personal holiness is intimately tied to and dependent upon our knowledge of God's word. Our study of God's word. And Psalm 119 shows us that the word of God is to have top priority in our lives. Spurgeon said the one theme of this psalm is the word of God. The psalmist sets his subject in many lights and treats of it in diverse ways, but he seldom omits to mention the word of the Lord in each verse. 176 verses. I think I counted, depending upon how you understand words that are used, three or four verses that do not mention the word of God. Out of 176 When God speaks through his word, he does not call us to half measures. He does not say, I want you to do your best here, and if you fail, well, you did your best. No, he says, this is the standard that you are called to. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. It has absolute authority in our life. If you remember uh, Ted Koppel, I can remember this. He gave a, uh, a commencement speak. And he said, the Lord gave us the Ten Commandments. He did not give us the Ten Suggestions. Okay? These are not suggestions in our lives. This is how we are to order our lives. The Bible has absolute authority over us. The terms used as synonyms for the Bible in Psalm 119 convey that. Words such as the righteousness, used ten times to refer to the Lord, word of the Lord. Trustworthy, true, faithful, unchangeable, eternal, light, and pure. Those are words used to reference the word of the Lord. Now, how are we going to tackle this with the, con- with the overarching topic uh, of, of personal holiness? Well, the next five weeks we're going to spend in the opening section of Psalm 119. Remember, I spent four hours just, just in those three verses. We spent a lot of time in there. I tell you, it is so full of great stuff. So we'll spend it in the first few verses, the relative passages. In February and March, we're going to do something special that we've been planning and working on for a while. We're going to spend six or seven weeks on the topic of marriage and how important it is in our culture today and how it is, uh, if you read the newsletter article, I referenced a woman I met in Germany, and she said, I don't need marriage. And it really shocked me. She said, I don't need marriage. But that was so common that I heard that type of phrase repeated again and again and again. Marriage just wasn't important. It wasn't on their radar. It wasn't part of their life. It wasn't even part of their future planning in their lives. Why do we think it is so important? Why do we hold it up as something that is crucial in the life of the believer between a man and a woman? Now, I can't tell you how long we'll be on the topic of holiness. There are so many factors. 
maybe a year, maybe two years. You think we're gonna, the topic's going to be holiness every, every Sunday morning? The topic is always holiness. The topic is always what the Lord is doing in our lives, what he calls us to do, how he calls us to live. It will take us a while. But I want you to, re- to remind you, your desire for personal holiness could not be more important in today's world. It could not be. Nor do I think that we could find a more valuable pursuit than how do we live out the things of God's word in our daily lives. How is my life as a believer to be different than all my friends who are non-believers? I mean, does it, is it just different because I come to church on Sunday? Is it just different because I spend 10 minutes in the morning reading the Bible? Is that what makes it different? Or is there something about the life of the believer that stands apart from the rest of the world while they stand in the midst of the rest of the world? Psalm 19 will communicate to us that we can trust God's word as the authority in our life. That it can shape and mold us and and determine the path for our lives all of God's word is faithful and righteous and true it does not change with the times and one of the amazing thing that the Bible speaks about with with the practical relevance to every culture and every part of history the Bible speaks the same things it doesn't change it God doesn't go Hmm, I wonder what the, what the culture's like today. I think I'll address it with uh, some different truth. No, there is a truth. It is from the Bible. How are you going to live that out in the culture to which the Lord has placed you? The Bible speaks about the human condition over the centuries, over the millennia. Sin is still sin. I asked the Sunday school class this morning, are there any new sins out there that, that they didn't know about uh, a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? There are new vehicles for sin, but sin is still sin. Holiness is still holiness. A thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, these things were laid out for us. How do I live a holy life in a world that is tainted by sin? Even when I'm in the midst of it and I'm tainted by sin as well, Scripture lays it out for us. The same things are true. They will continue to be true, and they are found in God's Word. Now, Satan has as long as can be remembered, always try to undermine the credibility of God's word. One of the ways that Satan does that is by subtly eroding the belief in the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. I'm going to quote here from John MacArthur. Contemporary evangelicalism has been beguiled and sabotaged by a ruinous lack of confidence in God's word. I'm not talking about the question of whether God gave us an inerrant Bible. Most evangelicals believe that he did. That is accepted almost without question. But many would never doubt the Bible's authenticity as God's word or to trust or distrust its essential authority as a guide for righteous living have nevertheless accepted the notion that Scripture simply does not contain all we need to minister well in these complex and sophisticated modern times. So they turn to human experiences, hoping that they might supply some recipe for the success they feel is lacking in Scripture. We hold this up and say, as evangelicals, we say, yeah, this is God's Word. Do you believe it? Yeah, I believe it. Are you going to pattern your life after you? Most of it. 
Just most of it, okay? Not all of it, because there are things in my life that Scripture just doesn't help me with. And, I, and, and, and it's better that I turn to, to human practice or, or my own experience of what I feel is right. Ooh. George Gallup and Jim Costelli are researchers. And they did a lot of research on how we view this book and how we view what is in it. They write... Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, we don't read it. Okay? Now, I'm not going to ask how much time you spent reading God's Word in the last week. We all know that in our own hearts. Some of us can go, I, I, I was just immersed in it. Okay? Others are like, well, I didn't have such a good week. Okay? Next week, I'll get to it. Next week, I'll get to it. He said, by and large, we don't read it. We revere it, but we don't read it. And because quoting Gallup again, and because we don't read it, we have become a nation of biblical illiterates. So Christians who lack biblical knowledge are the product of churches that don't hold biblical teaching up as the preeminence, as as the authority. They want to hold it in high esteem. Biblical teaching now often accounts for only a fraction of many local congregations' time and attention. So to pursue holiness... We must uphold the centrality and the urgency of biblical teaching, biblical preaching, biblical time on our own spent consuming, feasting upon the Word of God with the full aim that it will produce within us the righteousness that Christ calls us to. We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our own beliefs. And a congregation can rise no higher than its leadership. Albert Moeller said that many instances of Christians compromising in society can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching in the pulpit. Why don't we live out the things of God's word? We don't immerse ourselves in it. That's the danger. That is the danger. So if God's word is not the authority in our lives, if it doesn't hold the first position for our rule and for our behavior, our thoughts and the words we speak, then what does? Will our own experiences and our own feelings and our own views hold first position in our world? We've already seen in history the results of those who said, well, I know God's word says this, but I think... See, Adam tried that. Remember, God said, don't do this, and he said, well... But I really want to. How many times have we said, yeah, I know it says this, but I'm going to pursue this. We think, just like MacArthur was saying, I distrust the authority of God's word in my life to guide me that I might live in a way that he calls me to. So I'll make my own decisions about what is right and what is wrong. Now, John Bunyan, the author of the classic Pilgrim's Progress. This is what he said about the Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. If you meditate on God's word and commit it to memory, God will use it to keep you from sin, even if you don't retain it. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think, oh, I just can't memorize scripture anymore. You know, and I read it, and I walk away from it, and, and it's in there somewhere, but I just can't recall it like I'd like to. 
You are not wasting your time. Even if you don't retain it in reading God's word, it is important. Dwight Moody said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet turned on. Okay, how many of us are broken vessels? How many of us need replenished day after day after day after day? The faucet has to keep, be kept on. Where is the faucet? The faucet is right here in God's word. Ephesians chapter 5 makes it very clear. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And the way to personal holiness is to be filled with the Spirit. The way to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. We'll look at more of this next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you've given us your word. It's not as if we have to go searching for something new. Oh, it's a new culture. It's a new world. It's a new day. There must be some new revelation for us, some new word from the Lord. The new word is the old word. It is the word. It is what you have called us to, it is what you are calling us to, and what you will call us to. Heavenly Father, is to some extent this question of our wills, will we conform our will to your word? Will we trust it, even in a world that that does not hold it in high esteem, will we hold it as first and foremost in our lives? as the authority for our faith, the authority for our knowledge of you, and the authority for how we are to live these things out. Heavenly Father, you have called us to a holy life. You have sent us your Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to live a holy life. Lord, now we ask for minds that are informed by Scripture so that we will live a holy life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.